the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, Don't let a good and loving God be disparaged because we live in a very bad and unloving world. In fact, that's the very reason why he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, to rescue us from this wicked, fallen world. Now it's on us. Do we want to come into the cellar to be saved and to be rescued or not? Do we want to give our lives to Christ and to commit our lives to Him? Because whatever goes on in the world, you see, doesn't change the character of God. This is Cornerstone Connection the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Many make the mistake of thinking that the evils which occur in this world function as proof that God is not real. They struggle to understand why God would let bad things happen to good people. Pastor Gary teaches us today that because the world has sin, bad things inevitably happen. This is the reality of the world we live in. But we are offered salvation through Christ, and He will right all things in the end. If you struggle to believe in God because of this world's evils, ask for Him to help you see His light through the darkness. He is real, and He is good. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 107 for part one of today's message titled, The Goodness and Love of God. Psalm 107, that's page 453 in the church Bibles that are being handed out. Page 453, Psalm 107. Now while you're turning there, let me just give a little bit of introduction to this chapter. And if you're there by now, you will notice that Psalm 107 begins the fifth and final section of the book of Psalms. Uh, There is a a section designation right above Psalm 107 in your Bibles, and it says, Book 5, Psalms 107 to 150. Uh, the whole book of Psalms is divided into five smaller books or subsections, and when we've come across those subsections through our study of Psalms, I've mentioned it before, but just since this is the last section, I want to mention it for a final time. We don't know why the book of Psalms is divided in these five smaller books in these subsections. Some say that it perhaps mimics, that the Jews had in mind of mimicking the first five books of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and so it kind of mirrors that through the book of Psalms. 
uh, but we don't really know why. Um, the earliest manuscripts that we have of the book of Psalms were retrieved from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was first century AD. And even in those ancient documents, these subsections were mentioned. So it's been a part of the ancient texts uh, for as long as we have the ancient manuscripts available. Uh, perhaps it's more practical than anything else. I mean, it is the longest book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters. And maybe by dividing it into subsections, it makes it a little bit more manageable. But we don't really know why. But we come to this final section of the book of Psalms. Chapter 107, which is what we're going to be looking at today, you'll notice has no byline or subtitle. So it is among 50 out of 150 Psalms about which we have no information as to the context or the writer. And since it is one of the longest of the Psalms with 43 verses, uh, I'm going to read just a few sections rather than the entire chapter although we will cover most of this chapter in the course of our study today. So Psalm 107, let me first start by reading the first six verses, and it says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those He redeemed from the hand of the foe, those He gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Jump down to verse 10. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So He subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 17, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Verse 23, others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. And finally, if you'll just look at the last verse, verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Well, for you note takers, I'll give you the theme of Psalm 107 right up front on the screens. Psalm 107 is a psalm of thanksgiving for the goodness and love of God. That's verse 1. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever. So it's a call to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he's good and his love endures forever. In fact, the chapter ends by saying again, as we read earlier, whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Now, some of your Bibles might use the word mercy instead of love or kindness instead of love. 
It is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed can mean all those things. It can mean kindness, mercy, or love. But I want you to notice here in verse 1 that he says that the love of the Lord is eternal because it endures forever. It is not restricted by space or time. It is not reserved for only a select few people. God's love is for all and for all time. It is eternal. It is infinite. And you cannot separate the goodness of God from the love of God, which is why these two go hand in hand. God is good because he's loving. God is loving because he's good. And we need to understand and appreciate the love of God, which in some ways is is really impossible in our human finite minds to grasp the love of God. This is why Paul even prayed for the church in Ephesus. In Ephesus chapter 3, he said in verses 17 and 18, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, Paul's saying the reason I need to pray for the church at Ephesus about this is because the love of God is so vast, it is so great, it is so awesome, it is so magnificent that it is even hard for us to comprehend, humanly speaking. So he says, I pray that you would grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus, and that you would know this love, that you would have an experiential knowledge, not just an ethereal knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of the love of God. So you might achieve the whole measure of the fullness of God. The love of God is an amazing concept for us just to dwell on and consider and and to appreciate. Because verse 2 in this chapter here, 107, verse 2 tells us that we as the church, as the redeemed, should be the megaphones of that goodness and the love of God in our world. That the church, the redeemed, should be the ones who are expressing and declaring in our world just how good God is and just how loving God is. That part is on us. That's why the psalmist there in verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Some of your translations say, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, referring back to verse 1, that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Sometimes it's a little misleading in the NIV, what I'm reading from, because there's a hyphen right there in the middle of verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this hyphen, almost like you're supposed to say what follows it. But what follows in verses 2 and 3 is just a description of who the redeemed are. The redeemed are supposed to declare this. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Let them say so to a world that needs to understand that God is good and that God is loving. But before we can be the megaphones of the goodness and the love of God, we have to first believe it. You you first have to believe and know that God is good and that God is loving because you're going to encounter all kinds of people in this world who question the goodness and the love of God. It is a major objection and stumbling point that people who don't know Christ have to Christianity. Well, if God is so good and God is so loving, you'll hear them ask, then why does he allow this in our world and that in our world? And so their perception of God is skewed because of the evil world in which we live. And then they disparage the character of God because they look around their world and they see painful things and they see death and they see disease. We see it. But then they connect this with a loving God and it's a disconnect. 
How can God who's so good and how can God who is so loving allow these kinds of things in our world? I remember years ago, there was a gentleman who came to see me. He didn't attend our church, but he was a local elected official. And he just had questions. He was curious about God. He was curious about the Bible. He was curious about Christianity and faith. And so he just stopped by the church, this is years ago, and asked if he could meet with me. He was a middle-aged divorcee, had one son. He was a southern gentleman from South Carolina. And he referred to me as Reverend Gary. And he said, Reverend Gary, I have, I have a few questions about God and the Bible and Christianity. And, and so we would dialogue. One day he came into my office on one of these unexpected. He would just drop by whenever, the, whenever he felt so moved. Like, I got questions. He just dropped by. And on one occasion, he walked into my office and he put on my desk a snow globe. He just dropped it right down, just like that, a snow globe. And he stepped back and he said, that's why I got a problem with God. I said out loud, you got, a, you got a problem with God because of a snow globe? He says, no, 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 because of what's in the snow globe. And on the inside of the snow globe was a little picturesque scene of Noah's Ark and little animals. And you'd shake up the water and then all the people would be drowning. No, that part wasn't in there. <laughs> that part wasn't in there. Wouldn't that be terrible? That would be terrible, wouldn't it? That part was not in there. It was just beautiful little ark and then little animals. But seriously, <laughs> some of you were thinking that, weren't you? But seriously, that, that actually was what hindered him. So he says to me, my mama gave that to me when I was a little boy. And it has troubled me ever since. I said, in what way? He says, because I, can, I can't accept a loving, good God who would allow people to drown in a flood like that. And so his objection was the whole story of Noah's Ark and people drowning and dying. He says, that's, that's my problem. So he, he says, I want you to have the snow globe. <laughs> now, out loud, I said, I, I don't want to take your snow globe. Your mama gave that to you. And I knew that she had died. And so this was a sentimental thing. I said, I don't want to take this. Your mama has died. I don't want to take this snow globe. Inside, though, I was thinking, what in the world am I going to do with your snow globe? <laughs> but I... I you know, dialogued with him about it. I said, you know, tell me, tell me why this, this troubles you so much. He said, this, this whole concept about a loving, good God and then a, a flood. I said, all right, let, let me ask you something. Let's, let's say that a tornado is coming and, and I have an underground cellar and I say to you, I got shelter for you. Come into my underground cellar with me while the tornado passes. I said, would I be good or bad? Would I be loving or unloving to offer you that? He said, well, you'd be good. You'd be loving. I said, okay. Now let's say the tornado is still coming and I offer you shelter in my cellar. And for whatever reason, you refuse it. You don't, you don't like me. You don't like the cellar. Or you don't believe a tornado is really coming after all. And you refuse it and you end up dying because you get hit by the tornado. Am I good or bad? Am I loving or unloving? He said, well, you're, you're still good and loving. I guess it's on me, he said. I said, okay, so, so the Bible tells us that God presents an ark as a vehicle to rescue people. And the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that people could be rescued and saved, but for different reasons, whether it's rebellion or obstinance or whatever against God or that they didn't even believe it was going to rain, they refused to get into the ark. So is God good or bad? Is he loving or unloving? I said, why do you disparage the character of God 
because people who could have been rescued refused to be rescued. And in his southern charm, he said, well, Reverend Gary, you gave me something to think about. I'll have to ponder that. I said, well, here's the thing. How about this? You and I continue to dialogue. And I was right up front with him. I said, I want you to receive Christ as your Savior. So just so you know up front, I'm going to do all I can to present the truth to you so that you will accept Christ as your Savior. He said, all right. I said, in the day you do receive him, how about I give you back your mother's snow globe? And he says, all right, that's a deal. A few visits later, he left my office, was downtown Leesburg, had a massive heart attack, and died on the sidewalk. He never got his mother's snow globe back. For years, I would look at that in my office and wonder about him. Now, God knows everybody's heart, and he heard the gospel. He knew the truth, and I, I pray that somewhere between that heart attack and when he hit the sidewalk that he accepted and received Christ as his Savior, and I hope I'll see him again in heaven one day. But that was his issue. I don't know that I can believe in a good and loving God. A lot of people like that in the world. They have a skewed view of God because life has thrown them a curveball or the world is so wicked and crazy. It's hard to reconcile some of these things, isn't it? But don't let a good and loving God be disparaged because we live in a very bad and unloving world. In fact, that's the very reason why he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, to rescue us from this wicked, fallen world. Now it's on us. Do we want to come into the cellar to be saved and to be rescued or not? Do we want to give our lives to Christ and to commit our lives to Him? Because whatever goes on in the world, you see, doesn't change the character of God. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good and His love endures forever. And He's so good and He's so loving that He sent His Son Jesus dying on a cross to rescue us from this godless, unloving world where we can put our faith and trust in him and be rescued. And sure, we're going to have to still endure a messy, chaotic, wicked world until such time that we go to be with him forever. But this lifetime is like a drop of water in the ocean of eternity. And the decisions you make now will affect how you spend eternity. God is good, and his love endures forever. And I say with great compassion to those of you who have experienced different things in life that have caused you to question the goodness and the love of God. I understand that sometimes life can get so messy and so unpredictable, and things can happen that you are unprepared for, and it might cause you to wonder and to question. But I just want to encourage you to not allow the circumstances to define the character and nature of God. Understand who God is and, who, and how he reveals himself and that he has an ultimate plan and purpose for your life, so much so that he sent Christ to die for you. And then trust and believe that he's a good God and a loving God. Sometimes through unpredicted situations or our own misperception of God or even frankly the Bible says the lies of Satan will cause us to think incorrectly and improperly about who God is and who we are, for that matter, in relation to who God is. So, give thanks to the Lord. Despite everything, He is good, and His love endures forever. And the psalmist, in order to illustrate the goodness and the love of God, is going to 
talk about four different groups or kinds of people in this chapter. And I think that you'll probably relate to one or more of these groups. And here are these four groups that the psalmist talks about who end up experiencing the goodness and the love of God through their own difficulties. The first group we're going to refer to as the wanderers. That's in verses 4 through 9. And then in verse uh, 10 through 16, you have a group that we're going to call the prisoners. And then thirdly, there's a group we're going to refer to as the foolish in verses 17 to 22. And finally, a group we're going to call the weary in verses 23 to 32. Now, I'll come back to this list if you're trying to take notes and you, you didn't jot all four down. But before we, we dive into these groups a little bit, I want you to notice four things that they all share in common. As we look through the text, you'll see with me that, first of all, they all are suffering from some kind of distress. Uh, all four groups have some kind of trouble going on in their lives. Secondly, they all cry out to God in their distress. So we see prayer here. And it's more than just, you know, conversation. There's, there's times that you've cried out to God, and then there's just times you have conversation prayer, right? You know the difference, right? It's the crying out, the just, you know, getting alone with God somewhere where you're not freaking other people out, like in your car alone maybe, and you're just like shrieking out to the Lord. That's the Hebrew word used here for crying. It's this cry of desperation. It's one of those moments when you're just so beside yourself that you're just shrieking out to the Lord, crying out to him. They all do that. And then thirdly, they're all delivered by God from their distress. And lastly, they all give thanks to God because of his deliverance. So we'll start with first group first, the wanderers. And I've had that song in my head all day long in preparation for this study. And if you're too young to know, I'm just a wanderer then you can go home and YouTube it. It's a great song by Dion from like the 60s or something. I don't know. Anyway, the wanderers. Look at verse 4 again. He says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. So notice that they're wandering in desert wastelands. These are people who seem to lack a sense of purpose or value. It's a picture of hopelessness and aimlessness in desperate conditions. Now, all of us can go through desert experiences from time to time. There's been a wasteland or two that you will encounter in the course of your lifetime. But then there are some people who feel like they're just stuck there, that like they're living in a desert wasteland when life seems so unfruitful or unfair and Perhaps you're in a marriage that seems unfulfilling or you're in a job that is unrewarding and you just kind of go through life, you know, going through the motions without the emotion. That's these people here. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. In other words, it's, they, they longed for something more. They longed to be satisfied, but they couldn't have their satisfaction quenched. And so their lives ebbed away. You see, kind of a, it's, it's almost like a slow death. It's just like, well, I'm going through the motions of life, but it just feels like a slow death. In fact, the Hebrew there is, is rich in the language. It says they experienced dryness of soul. Dryness of soul. You ever felt like your soul was just dried up? Like you had no real joy in your life and, and things, especially in your relationship with God, seemed to be distant or dry. That's the description here of the wanderers. We've all seen movies of, you know, people in desert wastelands, you know, unless they get rescued, they're going to die of starvation or, or even before that, they'll die of thirst. And 
So, you know, in the movies, they portray people in deserts and, you know, they're crawling and, they, and then they have this illusion that they see water. It's just a mirage. And that's the picture here. It's just people who are so beside themselves and so desperate, so hopeless and, and helpless. Perhaps you felt like that. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there found under the teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person, too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.